As a church, we've been working our way through Ephesians, and this morning we'll be in chapter 6. And Lord willing, in the months ahead, in the months ahead, <clears throat> we'll start the book of Matthew. We're doing lots of reading in Matthew and preparation in Matthew, and we'll have a great time of focusing for who knows how long upon our great Savior and all that He's done for us. And really, it's about, all about Him as the coming King, and I can't wait for that time. But for now, Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to introduce our topic this morning by quoting a foreign dignitary. A number of years ago, a foreign dignitary visited the United States, and after reflecting upon his visit here, he had this to say, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. And we all chuckle at that. I know I did when I read it the first time. How interesting. And then you stop and think, well, maybe how telling. There really does seem to be a lot of truth to that whole idea and to that appraisal. Seems to be a problem. In America, we not only have children, many of them, who disobey their parents in a very brazen way, but not only that, we have parents accommodating them by, in a sense, obeying their children. It seems to be a problem, maybe even of epidemic proportions. Maybe you'd say pandemic proportions. Parents are obeying their children and children are not obeying their parents. You leave this afternoon and go to a restaurant and you might see it modeled for you. Or you could go to the mall if you didn't see it at the restaurant. Or if you didn't see it there, maybe you could turn on your television and watch some of the the TV families that teach us so fluently. But for us as Christians, the real compelling question this morning is, How are we supposed to act toward our children? It seems that many parents do accommodate their children and they seem to almost obey them and children are disobeying their parents and we we think it's a problem, but is it really a problem? See, I'm already showing my my Christian worldview, my, my Christian perspective. But let's back up for a second and just ask the question, what should we do? Should we just do what we see modeled for us? Should we say, well, that's okay because it's becoming the American way and it's the way we function? How should we function as Christian parents? Well, guess what? We're in Ephesians 6 and God talks about it and we can see exactly what God has to say to Christian parents and how we're to function regardless of how anyone else functions. That's the great thing about being a Christian. You can find out what God wants and you can open up the Bible and say, God who created the family says... Here's how you're supposed to do it. And even better yet, that's one motivating factor for me. I want to know what God says because He knows best. Another motivating factor for me as a Christian to find out what God says about anything, including parenting, is not so much self-centered because I want to do it the best way. That's part of it. But there's another perspective for me as a Christian, especially a Christian who is familiar with, let's say, Ephesians. We've studied Ephesians and worked our way through Ephesians. Many of you have been here for the whole thing. Some are just joining us. But just by way of review, what we've seen in Ephesians is God taking people who are are spiritually dead, Ephesians 2, and only because of grace, only because of mercy, we didn't earn it, what does He do? He he lavishes upon us. He, He pours out on us His awesome, powerful, good, grand Oh, I'm running out of synonyms. You could go on and on and on. Grace. 
And He saves us by His grace. And He gives us new life. He redeems us. He calls us to Himself. And, and He gives us such an awesome blessing and salvation. And now as Christians, we can't help ourselves but want to do whatever He calls us to do. We want to show honor to Him. We want to show praise. And another synonym for praise, by the way, is thanksgiving. We want to show Him thanksgiving, praise for all that He's given to us. And one big way that we do that is by obeying, by doing what He says. And so here we are. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you're a brand new Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years. Maybe you're not a Christian. You're just observing and learning. But if you are a Christian, you want to do what God wants you to do. Not to earn salvation, but because you already have it. And you know He's given you so many great things that you can't help yourself, but want to obey Him and to serve Him, even in the area of parenting. And that's why we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6. Having learned all the good things in 1, 2, and 3, we come to a command like this and we say, we want to listen. We want to know what God says about parenting because... We're His. And we want to do what He says. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 is the verse we're going to study this morning. We began studying it last time. Let's go ahead and read it together if you'd follow along with me. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I found it pretty interesting that that's it. You want to know Christian parenting? The Bible says more in other places, but there it is. There's a Christian philosophy of parenting right there. Huh. Wow. Pretty simple. And yet pretty complicated. And so last time, we began looking at a couple of the instructions that are given there. There are two instructions given that obviously, because there are only two and they're from God, they're indispensable. They're critical. They're crucial. We've got to to, to see them for all they're worth. So the first indispensable instruction given to Christian parents is negative, and it's do not provoke them to anger. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to come up with this outline. There are two commands in the outline. The first one is do not provoke. So the first instruction, don't provoke your children to anger. Second instruction is like the first, although it's positive. The Bible does that a lot, by the way. It says, don't do something, but it doesn't just leave us there. It follows with, and here's what you do. It's helpful. It's, it's instructive. It's, it's in the teaching mode. And the second instruction is, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You could have written that down without even me telling that to you. We looked at the first one last time. We're going to review this morning. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. First of all, let's notice what we noticed last time. It's an address, command mode, first of all, to fathers. And I think that's insightful. I think it's worth us observing. We'll review this morning. Why does it say fathers? Why doesn't it say fathers and mothers? After all, verses 1, 2, and 3 told children to obey their fathers and mothers. Mother and father, right? Both of them. Here he selects fathers and says, fathers, dads, And he gives instructions. And I don't think it's complicated at all because from the very beginning, first man, first woman, first family, God has held the father, the husband, the male, responsible to lead. That's why. 
It's always that way. It doesn't mean that there isn't a vital responsibility Adam and Eve both had, right? Did Eve sin? Oh, yeah. Is Eve accountable for sin? Absolutely. But who ultimately does God hold accountable for the relationship? It's Adam. Absolutely. You you read Genesis and you say, well, well, Eve did this. And you read a, a divine commentary on it like in Romans 5. Guess what? Adam led the human race into sin. He was responsible for leading his family. No question about it. And so when we come to a passage like this, it's too easy for us to say, yeah, especially us dads. (laughs) Well, you know, father could mean father and mother, and you know, don't write it off so quickly. Fathers, you're responsible. You're accountable. It doesn't mean your wife isn't responsible and accountable. Absolutely she is. It doesn't mean this doesn't apply to you women. It absolutely does. Please pay attention. And the Bible affirms such a critical role for you in the lives of children. No question about it. Even in the first three verses, children are to obey mothers and fathers. But dads, let's feel the pressure. Feel the burden. I need to lead my family. Even, not just in the breadwinner and all these kinds of things, in the parenting endeavor. Wives included, but really us husbands need to be the leaders that God wants us to be. And I think too often times it's not the case. So this is a good call for us, maybe men, to have our, 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 our leash pulled a little bit. Gets our attention. This isn't the way we've been thinking, but remember, we're supposed to live like Christians, so we're going to live maybe a different way than we, our, our fathers lived. Or other Men live. I'm a Christian. I'm responsible for my family. I need to be very, very concerned with this issue of my family and caring for them. And the instruction is do not provoke them to anger. That's a command. It's a present tense command. And by now, if you've been here more than one week, you've probably heard that. That's to be the pattern of your life. It's not an option. Fathers, mothers by implication, certainly, don't provoke your children to anger. Present tense, never provoke them to anger. This is to be your pattern for your Christian living. Parenting. What does it mean to provoke to anger? Probably don't need to tell you. It's whatever you say or don't say. It's whatever you do or don't do. It's however you say it or don't say it, right? That pushes that right button to cause your child to be unnecessarily angry or frustrated. Ugh! can't take it anymore. Because, as I said last time, there are things we do that are going to make our children angry. The Bible is even in this very same verse going to command us to discipline our children. What child says, oh, thank you. So thankful for discipline. What adult, when God disciplines you, says, oh, this is wonderful. Blessed be the name. You know, we're all excited and going to sing. No. But nevertheless, we don't want to needlessly make them angry, frustrated. I think the NIV says exasperate. You don't want to crush that child. And I don't mean physically. Certainly that would be included. And you can. Right? I think the Bible purposely leaves it open-ended too. He doesn't give us a list. He doesn't say, and here's exactly the way that you will exasperate your child. He doesn't do it. Different people have different personalities, different kind of family makeups. 
Just, just don't exasperate them. Purposely left open-ended. And so really, I have the potential to include so much there. Now, last time we talked about details. We spent most of our time talking about details. And we looked at uh, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so and Mr. and Mrs. Legalist and Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Libertine. And we went through the whole thing because I wanted to give you some examples, some samples of, of things that you could do that you're not even supposed to do as a Christian that could unnecessarily push that child to become angry, to become frustrated. So if you weren't here last time, you, you might want to check into that and you can find it on the web or, or pick up the tape. But the list could have gone on. We talked about legalism. We talked about license. We talked about everything in between. But before we move on to this second vital instruction, I want to do one more thing to feel the weight and burden of this because I'm not sure if we feel it enough. I'm not sure if I feel it enough. Let's turn, if you would, with me to Matthew 18. And let's get a little insight from Jesus on children and how he felt about children. He liked to use children as examples. And he's using children as, a, as an example of, of believers. I don't think he's limiting it to children, but he's using them, so let's take it for that point. In Matthew 18, as especially men, men and women included, as we're contemplating and trying to think through what we're not going to do so we don't provoke our children to anger, as we're contemplating it, let's feel the, the full weight of the intensity and how serious this matter is of you and of me dealing with my kids or your kids. In Matthew 18, verse 6, Jesus says, But whoever causes one of these little ones, I think using children to illustrate believers, but nevertheless he's talking about children as an example, who believe in me to stumble, that is to sin, Get this, it would be better for him to have a a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the deepest sea, the depth of the sea. I think that deserves sober reflection. I think it would have called for sober reflection to his original audience and it calls for sober reflection when I read it. I need to be careful about what I do with my kids because if I push them to the point where it causes them to sin, I'm guilty of a very, very bad spiritual crime. Now I know it's talking about believing ones here and maybe your children are or are not believers and all that, but just take the principle for what it's intended for. Be careful with kids. Be careful with your kids and what you do and how you do it and what you say and how you say it and what you don't say and what you don't do. Now, make sure you also understand, and maybe this is for kids too that are listening, God holds individuals accountable. Adam and Eve, Adam was the leader, but Eve was accountable. Every individual is accountable, so don't say, well, my mom and dad made me do it, and therefore it's not my fault, etc., etc., etc. You'll one day stand before God and give an account for your life as a kid, as an individual. And your parents will one day stand and give an account as a parent. But they're more responsible because they were in the leadership position, that's all. And so be careful, parents, that you don't end up having spiritual blood on your hands. Right? Based upon the way you treated 
those little ones that God entrusted you with. Very serious. And it starts with fathers. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say it seems to be that those of us who are fathers, generally speaking, are more likely to be the ones that provoke them to wrath and anger. Doesn't mean mom can't do it. Doesn't mean mothers don't do it. But in our family, it's more likely that it's going to be me. I don't know about you guys, but I had enough of this last week. (laughs) And here we are reviewing it again this week. But I know that I know that I know in my heart that I need it. And I need to be reminded of it more than just for two weeks. And so if need be, you get serious with God and you do this today. Hopefully you did it last week. And you talk to the Lord. You confess your sin to Him. You confess your sin to your wife. And the way you've treated the children, if need be. You confess your sin to your children at an age-appropriate level. Because Christian parenting, at least half of it as outlined in Ephesians 6, is this. And so I, I really can't be successfully parenting my children if I'm provoking them to anger, frustration, wrath. I'm so thankful that we don't only have the negative. I need the positive. Just like when you're being instructed in athletics and and you're doing something and you constantly do something wrong, it's not going to help for your instructor to say, wrong, 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 wrong. You did it wrong there. That's wrong again. You're never going to get any good unless they say, that was wrong. They need to be honest with you, right? That was a terrible golf swing, right? That was horrible. You keep looking up. You, you don't keep your head down, whatever. But you need, you need to have, see, I did it right there. I gave the positive. What you need to do is stop looking up and look down. What you need to do is stop doing such and such and start doing this. I can't use golf examples because I can't golf. So I I can't even give good illustrations. But you get the idea. The negative is coupled with the positive, and that's what's happening here. So don't provoke them to anger, husbands. Let me stick to what I know. And do, number two, second indispensable instruction, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's exactly what the verse says, right? Verse 4, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first statement is the command, bring them up. It's actually one word in the Greek New Testament. It's also present tense, so this is the habit of your life, the pattern of your life, and it's a command. Men, fathers, mothers by implication, what are you supposed to do? Don't ever provoke your children to anger and wrath, and always, always, always be bringing them up. It's actually the word for for nourish. We saw it in chapter 5, verse 29, translated that way, I believe. Same word. You're nourishing them, but the idea obviously is, good translation, bring them up. Men, you also feel that responsibility, also that burden. Hopefully it's not too much of a burden, but it's a weight to bring your children up. Fathers, bring your children up. That's what it is. It's a command. I'm glad he tells us a little bit on how to do that. Okay, I know I need to do this. I know I need to be patterning my life in, in such a way that I'm constantly bringing them up. And, he, in, and the answer is twofold as to how do we do it? Well, they're to be brought up, first of all, in the discipline of the Lord. I don't know about you, but as soon as I hear the word discipline, I think physical discipline. 
It would include that. But this first word that he uses is super broad. It includes physical discipline, but it really includes any kind of training. Fathers, present tense, command, train your children. Always be training your children. And it's not just the physical side, though it includes that. As a matter of fact, the same Greek word is used in 2 Timothy 3.16, a verse that maybe a lot of you know if you're a Christian for more than about, I don't know, a few months. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for, repro- for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's our word. So you could even translate this training and that would be fine. If it helps you understand it better, write it in your margin. Fathers, you're to bring your children up in the training of the Lord. That's the idea. And again, like I said, it's this broad, all-encompassing, how about this, guys? You're responsible for all of your child's training. All of it. Uh, Training in the Lord. There it is. You're responsible to train your children. Another super broad, all-inclusive statement. You say, I I had a hard time helping helping with geometry homework. I had a hard time getting them to school on time. And now God says, guess what, men? You're responsible for training your children and all that that includes. That's a, that's a big responsibility. A huge responsibility. A responsibility that I could never fulfill apart from the grace of God in my life. It's heavy. And we're to shoulder that. But now he, he narrows in a little bit. If, if think about a scope, and, uh, and he's going he's gonna to tighten the scope down, and he's going to sharpen the focus now. There's that broad term, and then he's going narrow to narrow it down, and he's going to be real specific, at least more specific than he was, with the second part of bringing them up. Look what he says there in the verse, in verse 4. In the instruction of the Lord... So it's broad training, discipline, but then there's specifically we're instructing. Interesting word. It comes from two Greek words put together, uh, literally to put to, to put in or to place in the mind. This is education. You're putting things in your children's minds, dads. That's what God is calling you to do. How do you bring your children up? Well, you do it by training, discipline. And you also doing it, you do it by putting things in their mind. What do you put in their mind? This is the Lord's training. Bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. The instruction of the Lord. The training of the Lord. The putting of the Lord's truth in their minds is what He's talking about. He's more specific. And again, I think it's appropriate for us to say, especially as men... Do I do this? Is the pattern of my life to instruct my children? Or have I sort of um, left that to my wife? Or have I um, uh, sort of uh, left that to the uh, Awana people, as important as they are? Or the children's church people? Or the Sunday school people? Those ministries are vital. I'm so thankful that they can help. I need help. But again, here it is. The yoke, the burden, if need be, is on your necks, dads, and mine. The good thing is, by the grace of God, that yoke cannot be a burden, as the Lord would even say. But it is there. I need to be instructing my children. Let's talk about how we'll do this. 
How is it that I instruct my children? At least a couple of ways. Obviously, through biblical instruction, through, through teaching my children the Bible. How do I uh, instruct them in the Lord? Well, I don't think it takes a genius again to say, well, I'm, I'm going to give them biblical instruction. We spent a whole men's breakfast one time uh, last year, and I sat up here on a stool and hardly had to prepare at all because it's what we do in our family. And I sat here with the Bible and said, all right. And I think I gave a whole list of motivating factors. That was the basic message. That was the only preparation I had to do is, is come up with some biblically motivating factors for men to do this. And then it was, let me show you how I do family devotions. Maybe one of the more important things I've done around here in recent years. Because it's so serious when it comes to the home. Men, we need to do this. Biblical instruction. And I need to do biblical instruction. Obviously, my wife is going to do biblical instruction. And obviously, the church is going to help in the endeavor. Because the family isn't the church. But I need to do it. I need to feel that good pressure to do that. Remember the first time I saw it done. I was not raised in a Christian home, so don't use that as a reason why you don't do it. Well, you know, the pastor, he's, his, his dad must have been a pastor, and his grandpa and great-grandpa, and you know, on that goes. And It's no wonder he can do this. And Well, first of all, and you know, he seems to read a lot of books. First of all, let me tell you, I didn't read a book from cover to cover except a children's book, I don't think, or a dirt bike magazine or something until college when I had to do it. And so that's not it. And I'm a first-generation pastor. Uh, This is really first-generation of Christian living. So I've had to work for it, I guess, and not in a—I don't mean that in a prideful sense. I'm just trying to say this isn't something I know how to do because I was raised this way. So you don't have to be raised this way to do it, men. I remember the first time I saw it done. That's where I wanted to, to go. We were actually at Omaha Bible Church, and Molly and I were newlyweds, and we're here, and, and, and we're involved with the youth, working with youth. This is the first time we were here. We're here the second time, pastor role. And we're here, and we're involved with the youth ministry, and, and three of the Peterson kids uh, were involved. Uh, Tim was still too young. Imagine that. Now he's married and has his own family. But anyway, so Chris Peterson, Stacy Peterson, now, Samson, sorry to talk about everybody, but it's family day, I guess, uh, and, and Shanna. And so the Petersons were gracious enough because we work with their kids to invite us over to their home. So we went over to their home and we had a nice time. And I don't remember if it was before dinner or after dinner, but I will never forget. And it's changed my family life forever. So this is all a good testimony of God's grace. The dad opened up the Bible, Randy Peterson. And he led his family in uh, reading the Bible. They did it all the time. It was obvious. I'd never seen it in my life. And I'll never forget it. As soon as Molly and I had children, sure, we did did different things together as a married couple, but as soon as we had children, it was going to be family Bible time because we learned it from other Christians. And we were going to do that because we're supposed to do that because that's what Christian families do, apparently. And so a great thanks to them and the impact that it's had upon our family. And we try to take every opportunity we can now. Now we have the Bible that sets up on the refrigerator and, and there it is. And, and after we're done eating, we get the Bible down. And, and right now we just started going through Matthew. I don't mind uh, killing two birds with one stone. 
I'm going to preach through Matthew, so guess what? It won't hurt Daddy at all to be more familiar and even be teaching kids. Before that, it was Job. I mentioned that probably in a sermon or two, and that was tough. Don't do that. Don't start there, man. <laughs> start with Revelation. My kids loved it. I mean, it was awesome. And they wanted to learn about the birds eating the flesh and the carcasses. And... It's exciting. Read a narrative. Read Acts. It's, it's high speed. Read Matthew. It, everything's moving. And you'll learn how to do it after a while. But it's one way. I'm not saying it's the way. But it's one way on a regular basis I can be hands-on instructing our children because I'm accountable standing before God to do it. Fair enough? Good challenge? hope so. Now, this doesn't mean this is all we do. I want to give you a little glimpse into our, our, our kitchen, I guess, our home. This isn't all we do. I get home from work on Friday and, all right, where's that Bible? And, you know, I don't preach to my kids like I preach to you all the time. And, all right, now, you sit there and, and, and here we go. And uh, the first indelible instruction from the... No, it's not that way at all. We're just reading, talking about it. And, and it's not like we don't have any fun. I walked in the house on Friday, and after I said hi to everyone, I think I took my coat off, and it was five minutes, and, and Natalie and Jonathan and I are having a wrestling match in the living room. And once there was bloodshed by one child, and we had to stop. <laughs> there wasn't really, but you get the idea. Then we had to switch to bull riding. And then after there were two casualties, we, all, we just decided to do horse riding. But, I mean, you get the idea. And after that, we didn't sit down and eat dinner at home. We went out for pizza. And guess what? We didn't do Bible reading on Friday night. And there was no spiritual crime committed, I don't think. We're not legalistic about it. But every opportunity I have, men, I want to teach my kids. I want to teach them the Bible. And not leave it up to someone else. Maybe a good illustration and example for us is, is what God said to Israel regarding their children and how to train them. And I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It's not very hard to find. And there's a little bit more than just in Ephesians. So let's go to Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 is, is I'll put it this way, it's loaded with theological significance. If I'm teaching on the, the Trinity or the character and nature of God, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 6 every time. Because there's so much weight there. And when I think Deuteronomy 6, I'll be real honest with you, I don't think children. I think monotheism. I think the, the, of the Jewish great statement, they call it the Shema or the Shema, this great statement that there's only one God. But right here in the context, children, instructing children is one of the great burdens on God's heart here. Let's, let's jump into the context in verse 4. He said, this is the Shema, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You should, and then, if, if that's the greatest statement ever made in the Bible... Then, then here's the second greatest statement ever made in the Bible, or I don't even want to categorize them. It's the greatest commandment. Jesus said that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Love God with everything. Again, theological profundity. 
These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. It's the closest thing to you. It's what you have affection for. There's nothing closer. And notice what he says. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up all the time. These are, this theological profoundness is what you talk to your kids about all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you sh- uh, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The point is, it's everywhere. It permeates your life. You are always, always, always instructing your children in the ways of the Lord. Theology, truth, who He is, what He expects. It's a pattern. And I think that's a great example for us. There's another way I want as a father, and certainly by implication as a mother, I I want to instruct my children. And that would not be uh, only by speaking to them God's Word, and that's what we were just talking about, but also just by example. And as the saying goes, oftentimes things are better caught than taught. We do both as Christians, right? We want to do both of those things. I'm responsible to train the children. Well, I want to do it by education and verbalizing things. But I also want to show them. I want to show them how to make a wise decision in life that would honor the Lord. I want to show them uh, how to say no to sin so it would honor the Lord. I want to show them how to say yes to doing what's right and what priorities are. And and quite frankly, our lives are filled with opportunities. You're always having opportunities to teach. I I started writing things down. I I can teach by example through my speech. I can teach by example based upon the way I talk to Molly, my wife, in front of my kids. Aren't I instructing my kids when I do that? And the way I talk about other people, I'm instructing my children. I'm instructing my children by the way I work, by my attitude, by my faithfulness or lack thereof in serving in the body of Christ. In my prayer life, I'm instructing my children. It's pretty amazing. You hear your kids pray and it gives a good insight into the way you pray. They're learning how to pray from you. And if every time it's the same thing and there's no thought no substance. You're just modeling it for them. Again, all of your life is a teaching tool, isn't it? Jesus taught by what He said. Jesus taught by what He did. We teach by what we say. We teach by what we do. And I feel the pressure. I feel the burden. Example, 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 example. As Abraham Lincoln, no less of a theologian than Abraham Lincoln, Observed when he was thinking about example and thinking about training children biblically. From what I've read, it seemed to be that he became a Christian at one point in time in his life, certainly not early on. He said this, There's only one way to bring up a child in the way he should go. Scriptural flavor to that, right? There's only one way to bring up a child in the way that he should go, and that is to travel there yourself. Ha ha, that's good. Example, example, example. Parenting hard? I got a lot left to do, and I think it's only hard so far. There's all kinds of uncontrollable variables, 
and school and friends and relationships, and you can control those to a certain degree. Of course it's hard. It's complicated as anything could possibly be complicated. But don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. God doesn't think it's that complicated because He gives us one verse in Ephesians. Now, He gives us Proverbs. I know that. And and He gives us Colossians. And He gives us other things and principles and even teaching examples from Jesus. But really, bottom line is, it's not that complicated when it comes to principle. It's just a matter of now, Pat Abendroth or the Abendroth family needs to step up to the plate and work hard at being godly and work hard at doing Ephesians 6.4, depending upon God's grace to, to superpower the whole thing or we'll never get any of it done. It's Christian parenting. It's not that complicated. It's just hard to do. Fathers bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, I knew last week after I went over, I was not going to have enough to fulfill my time allotment this morning, so I guess we'll be done. I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) I want to end with this, because I don't want to try to make more out of the verse than is actually there. Let's end just with some questions, and these are some questions that people have been asking me even in the last week, Uh, and so I wrote down four questions. I want to interact with the questions. Some have explicitly biblical answers. Uh, Some don't. Let's just answer them based upon wisdom. Four questions that pertain to parenting that might be helpful for you. Let me say one thing before I say that. And that's because a little while ago I mentioned I'm just early on in this thing. Like I said last time, I'm not an authority on parenting. So anything that's my opinion on how I do it, you can take it or leave it, really. I hope some of the things that I said last week and this week are helpful. But don't leave saying, I don't need to do that because what does he know? I haven't even seen his kids grown up yet. I'm with you. But God is an authority on parenting. So leave all my illustrations, examples, advice. Just throw them out the door if you don't want them. But you do have to come to grips with Ephesians 6.4 because God is an authority on parenting. And therefore, I don't have to be an authority on parenting. I can say, let's look at it, see what it means, and this is what you must do, men. Right? That's the great thing. It's the wonderful thing. All right, let's look at some of these questions. Number one, what role does discipline play in Christian parenting? What role does discipline play in Christian parenting? Let's make this real simple. You will only discipline the children in your family that you love. Because if you don't discipline your children, you don't love them. Or they're not part of your family. That's what the Bible says. If you don't discipline your children, you don't love them. Or they're just not part of your family. Oh. So I think discipline plays a big part in Christian parenting, and certainly it needs to be age-appropriate. But let's look at Proverbs 13 together. Proverbs, if you were in the Psalms earlier this morning for our Scripture reading, it's roughly in the middle of your Bible... And then Proverbs is the next book after Psalms. And Proverbs is a wealth of information and it says a lot about this issue. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, 
says a lot. It says in verse 24, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And there would be similar statements in the Proverbs. There's one. You don't discipline your kids, you hate your kids. You say, but I don't hate my kids. Well, your actions are louder than your words. Why? Because discipline is a positive thing. Because what is discipline? We talked about it already this morning. Discipline is training. It's a training tool. And you're helping them to say no to wrong things and yes to right things. Or how about another passage? Hebrews chapter 12. This is from God's perspective. So the psalmist learned it from God. God's perspective, and certainly uh, here it may include physical discipline, but it doesn't have to include physical discipline. Hebrews is toward the end of your Bible, larger book. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, if you didn't find it, you could just write it down. Not really talking about children here at all, but he uses children and disciplining children as a point of reference. He says in verse 6, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God, you'll be disciplined because that's an act of love for Him. And, and, And He goes on to say, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. It's expected here that this happens. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The implied answer is, that would never happen. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Got to think that through. Important. You say you love your kids, but you're not committed to training them. You got to deal with this. Now, that doesn't mean, please, 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 if you just listen to that, don't take it out of context and don't think for a millisecond that you somehow discipline your children apart from the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I mentioned that last week. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Spirit indwells you and the fruit shows up in your life and it includes things like love and joy and peace and how about patience, kindness, gentleness... And the list goes on. God is not calling you to abuse your children in any way, shape, or form. And if you take these other verses out of context to do that, then you have severely misused the Bible. It's all true. Keep it all in perspective. Not one thing and not the other if God wrote the whole thing. But it is to be done. We are to discipline our children. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Discipline is elementary to Christian parenting. Another good question. How should the salvation promises, quote-unquote, of Proverbs be understood? How should we understand the salvation promises of Proverbs? The one that this person is referring to is Proverbs 22, verse 6. It may be repeated, but there's the specific one I'm looking for or I'm referencing. Proverbs 22, verse 6. It won't make any sense to you unless you you hear it or, or see it. Okay, the Bible promises me, apparently, that if I do certain things, my children will end up a certain way. 
And many take this to be then, if I do certain things A and B and C, at the end it is guaranteed that I will end up with a Christian child. Well, how do we understand that? Look at Proverbs 22, verse 6. There's the verse. Train up a child in the way he should go. I don't think that's his way either, by the way. There's not good support for that, I don't believe. Train him up in the way he should go. The right way. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And many a grieving parent says, there it is. I think I did all the right things or I tried so hard and and yet my child didn't end up a Christian. I don't think it's a promise. That's why I said, quote-unquote, the salvation promise of Proverbs. And I wouldn't be alone on that. I, I... most of the reading I did just to check and see if I was alone. Um, I have all kinds of, of good company when it comes to uh, commentators on Proverbs. I think it's a, it's a life principle. It's a general truism, as Proverbs is filled with general truisms. If you do a certain thing, you aim in a certain direction, the probability is very high that you'll continue going in that direction. Another example, in case you're struggling with that, would be Proverbs 4. is just one example of of this being a general life principle and not a promise. Proverbs 4.10 says this, Hear my son and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. General truism. Do the right thing, show wisdom, and you're going to live a long life. You're going to live a happy life, generally speaking. That's not a guarantee that a week later that son wouldn't be struck by lightning, and then all of a sudden God's Word isn't true. These are principles for living. General truisms for living. So what I want to do is train my children in a certain direction and point them in a certain direction with discipline, instruction, help, guidance, love, compassion. And generally speaking, there's a high probability they're going to go in that direction. But it's not a recipe. I did this. I added a pinch of this. I did just this right and everything here. And voila. I didn't even need the grace of God to save my child. Ultimately, it's going to be God working in their hearts. So I hope that helps. Another question. What is the most biblical parenting program? That's opinion, uh, but I'll give it a shot. What's the most biblical parenting program? I have to say this is my opinion, because when I looked at my concordance, I didn't find parenting program anywhere. So, don't even listen to this. I think the most biblical parenting program is the one that takes place without a program. That's my personal opinion. The most biblical parenting program is one that doesn't have a program involved. I say this because the Bible does give us Ephesians, it gives us Colossians, it gives us Proverbs, gives us a lot of instruction, even though they're, they're just rudimentary and basic. Maybe because God wants us to flesh them out? I think so. And also, God gives us this thing called a local church where we're supposed to learn from people who are older and the older people are supposed to teach the people who are younger. That's what Titus 2 is all about, with older women teaching younger women uh, how to even love their children. There's this life-on-life practical showing, teaching, training on how to live this stuff out. It's not very programish at all. It's We're learning from people who are godly parents and, and we see their godly parents based upon their children that that's how you flesh these things out and we learn from them. I'm just a little nervous about a program that again says A, do A, do B, do C and in the end you're going to have a perfect kid. And sometimes maybe that removes the notion of, uh, of what happens when you've got the Scriptures and you've got to deal with them. 
And you've got to become like the psalmist who, who, who cries out to God for help. Lord, give me wisdom. And I don't need that much wisdom when I have 12 chapters on how exactly to do it. Maybe God wants us to not have the 12 chapters. Just an idea where I have to say, God, I've got the principles, I've got the life, I've got some help, but I need wisdom on how to do the specific thing. And I, I can't just call 1-800-CALL-GARY or something like that. I can't just get a pat answer from someone. God, help me. Or how about this? God, help me and my family to work through the Proverbs and to work through the Scriptures and to principalize what we need to do in our home when it comes to being Christian parents. I don't want to circumvent that process, the process of intimacy, the process of hard work, the process of having to work it through for myself and own it. And I can just skip all that if I have a program. The microwave dings and I get it out and it's all done. At least some food for thought, I hope. I want that sincere dependence upon God and upon the body of Christ to help me with this. And finally, someone asked me this specifically. How does a father gain respect from his children? How does a father gain respect from his children? Again, I don't have a verse for this. Take it for what it's worth. How does that happen? It certainly is important in Ephesians 6. How do I gain respect from my children? It starts, and be real pointed with this, it starts by being respectable. Right? How do you gain the respect of your children? Start by being respectable. Because there seems to be nothing more pathetic than an unrespected person or an irrespectable person demanding respect. A person who has no authority, that'd be a good example, who says, I demand that I'm the authority. So you want to work at being godly. You want to work at being respectful. Respectable, I should say. It's got to start there. I, how do I gain respect from my wife? Well, it's, I need to work on being respectable. I need to work on being godly. And then eventually, when that happens, I would say, personally, that in the end, you demand respect. But put that last. You need to be respectable before you demand the respect. And so if you're just entering into this Christian life thing, and you haven't been respectable, you work on it. Uh, You don't have the respect of your wife and kids, you work on it. And by the grace of God, absolutely anything and everything is possible. So you put your nose to the grindstone, so to speak, and you work hard at being the godly man that you need to be and the husband you need to be and the parent that you need to be doing the right things. And you pray by God's grace that you gain that respect back that you should have had from the very beginning. I can't give you good practical ways to do this because I've never gone down that road. I was raised in a home, not a Christian home. My dad was not a Christian. He never trained me in the discipline of the Lord. He never instructed me in the ways of the Lord. Not even close. But for the 19 years that I was around my father until he died, there wasn't a day when I didn't respect him. I respected him. He was the leader. He did what he said he was going to do. Uh, He was very firm. To be feared, certainly, but never abused us in any way. He demanded that we respect my mom. 
Very firm. And he let us have fun too. I respected him. He wasn't even a Christian. I've never had to work on the respect of my children, although that day may come. I understand that. Be godly. Say I'm the leader. Lead. It's, it's not that complicated, but you may have gotten, your place, get, gotten yourself in a place where it's become complicated. And the advice I have for you is be godly. Watch other godly families. Get involved with other godly families and men and women and, and, and wait upon the Lord because it's all His grace that does this anyway. Well, I hope that helps. We need to be done. And next week, if you want to be encouraged, we'll talk about your work life. <laughs> Interesting. Someone has said to me on different occasions, people have said, you know, I just need more practical. You know, you just teach the Bible and I just need to have more practical in my life. You know what I've found? It's this kind of stuff that's the practical that makes us most uncomfortable. And so it's pretty ironic how that works. And what we're trying to do around here is study theology as it comes, like in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And when we're done learning with theology, we want to put it into practice, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And we want it to invade our lives. And we want it to change us. I'm changing every day because God is working in my life. And I hope you're changing every day too. It's not always comfortable. That's where the rub comes. That's why we pray. Let's pray now. God, thank you for this morning and the time we've been able to have opening your word. And your instruction to us as parents is, is pretty clear. And I pray that we would take the, the instruction to heart and that we would be very careful with these uh, treasures you've given us called children and we would love them and care for them that we would not do things that would unnecessarily cause them to be angry and we would train them and instruct them and and we as men as dads and fathers we would feel that that good and healthy burden to be doing that on a regular basis and I pray for wives that they would, would be committed to allowing their husbands to lead. And maybe those, some of these husbands need to take baby steps. And they're nervous or, or they're not sure exactly how to do it or they, they're not sure how their wives would respond. I know that's a reality, Lord, in a group this big. I pray for the men that they would do the right thing no matter what they think their wife might think. But they would do it with gentleness and compassion and care and prayer. And that wives would allow that to happen. And that they would be uh, slow to speak and, and, and quick to observe and to, quick to praise you for, for beginning to do a work in their husbands' lives. God, we would, we would earnestly desire that. Make us different people for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.